0: Welcome to this podcast, Focus on Modern Slavery. My name is Debbie Huxton and I'm a modern slavery campaigner for the Litchfield Diocese Mothers' Union, supported by Transforming Communities Together. The aim of this podcast is to raise awareness of the evil crime of modern slavery, human trafficking and county lines, to engage in meaningful conversations that highlight the plight of those victims enslaved and give a voice to those who are being unjustly treated and cannot speak for themselves, to set the captives free. Each episode will bring you a great discussion from interviews with those involved in all aspects of working towards eradicating modern slavery, and thought-provoking stories from those that have been victims themselves, to information on how you can help bring an end to this devastating exploitation of human life. Together. We can change the narrative from one of indifference to making a difference. Together, we can make a difference. So here we are. It's so lovely to have you, Lara. So um, for those of you listening today, I have the lovely Lara Bundock with me. Lara is the CEO and founder of the Snowdrop Project. And um, I'm reading this from your website, Lara, because, you know, people can go and they can have a little look at you and what you are doing. But um, I love to read out people's bios, because then you can say, who is this? Um, <laughs> Laura left home um, from Skipton to come to Sheffield for a BA in psychology and sociology. I sound like I've been stalking you, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> and then went on to complete an MA and said, well, I in social work. She worked for Doncaster Social Services and CAMS before working for an NRM safe house in Sheffield. As a result of seeing the need for further support, Lara started the Snowdrop project, which I'm really excited to talk to you about today. She's a guest lecturer at Sheffield Hallam and Sheffield University and co-authored the report Life Beyond the Safe House 2015 for the Human Trafficking Foundation. Her most adventurous experiences through work were in Turkmenistan, Mm -hmm. presenting to the government, conducting social research in Libya and giving evidence to the Home Affairs Select Committee. Isn't that incredible? And, you know, for those listening, you might think she's 65. Just let let the listeners know how young you are. I'm 34. 34 and all that under your belt so far. (laughs) yeah if i come back in 10 years what else is going to be on there
1: (laughs) it's been an adventure
0: wow 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 so it's my pleasure to be talking to you today so um um, we've had we've we've been chatting and and i've you know we've had we've already spoken before and i got to know a little bit about you and i was totally wooed by you um in everything that you're doing because it sits so aligned with you know my heart for the justice for people that are being exploited and you know to see humanity be valued um so take me behind the scenes of of your life lara we've just given you i've just given the, the listeners all of that information tell us tell us about about you from from the perspective of um so you you went to university mm-hmm. you worked for social services yeah and you worked in a safe house and then tell us what happened tell us how all this progressed <laughs> in the snowdrop project came about. Uh yeah, well, there obviously is
1: a lot of things all in between that. Um but yeah I did I so I grew up in Skipton with my mum, dad and my brother and I've got a very good relationship still with my family and um and with my brother. Um they are a big I guess reason or, or there's there's a they're a big reason why Snowdrop still exists because they were very important in supporting me. In the very early years which i'll i'll talk about at some point mm-hmm. um okay. but i didn't <clears throat> i didn't actually intend to do any of the things that i've done <laughs> at all um when i was younger i thought i wanted to be a physio um and that was because all my family are medical so i kind of assumed i, I probably should be too um I'm very glad that I didn't become medical, mainly because when I have taken survivors to hospital appointments, some of them quite serious, mm-hmm. um, I have fainted twice within them. <laughs> so probably shouldn't have been medical. Um, so it's a good job that I essentially I messed up my biology A levels and um, I was predicted an A and I did not get that at all. Um, and so the universities that had accepted me for physio wouldn't take me. And um, so my life took a very different direction. And I picked psychology and sociology because I enjoyed it, um, which is something that I have learned a lot is it is often really important to do things that you enjoy. Yes. <laughs> um, <absolutely>. so, <laughs> uh, so then, when I went to university, I also thought I did a lot of things that I enjoyed. I lost that being um, theatre; it's a big passion of mine. Uh, I thought I was going to go into the theatre, got an internship to go into a theatre company at the end of university, which suddenly fell through um, due to kind of finances, and so I ended up finding myself working in social services. Just because it was any job that would take me and that was how I fell into social work and then doing a social work assistant job that was basically working as a social worker but not being paid to be a social worker and um, I thought well if I'm going to do this job I might as well get paid to do it properly so <laughs> that was why I went and trained basically as a social worker so there wasn't really any linear plan it wasn't kind of like I was like this is what I want to do I just kind of sort of fell about going okay let's follow this route let's follow this route um and then again i kind of fell into working in the nrm safe house and and it just so happened again i didn't know this at the time because sadly my social work training didn't cover and a lot of it still doesn't cover um understanding trafficking what the systems are around that how to navigate it the good thing that social work did teach me was an appreciation of the law and how to make sure that you advocate for people who often are in positions of disadvantage or vulnerability or oppression to make sure that they have their rights um, and that their voice is heard. And that was a really key thing that social work taught me. So even though it didn't teach me about trafficking, I think it gave me a lot of underpinning um, appreciation and values that were really needed.
0: Yeah. And not- just just for the listeners then so we're saying nrm safe house
1: Sorry,
0: yeah no 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 so nrm for those that are listening stands for the national referral mechanism and that was a safe house that had been set up in sheffield for those people that were going through the process of finding themselves victims of being trafficked and then going through the sort of uh, legal process of then finding out if if they were if they had a case or not is that yeah. correct
1: yeah, so essentially the national referral mechanism is sort of twofold. One, to for, for our um, systems to decide whether we believe A, what they're saying and B, whether they fit our definition of being a victim of trafficking or not. And whilst they're going through that process of decision-making they are then entitled to certain levels of support and protection um, and yeah. while that is pending and one of the ways that people can get that support and protection is by going into a safe house yeah and um, so that that was where I kind of came in and it was um the safe house I worked for was an all-female safe house that was it was a, a considered to be a high-need safe house it was it was a 24-7 supported and um, safe house and when I started that I mean it was a of a baptism of fire because (laughs) i haven't had any training and i used to go home and read every legal document case study anything i could get my hands on to Mm -hmm. understand because again the passion for representing people well and understanding what you're advocating for was drilled into me by my social work training but also i mean it'd been there probably from a younger age yeah. I just knew more about how to do it after my social work training so I would I would do that I'd go home and read lots of stuff and then when I was supporting people really seeing some level of improvement and as in people starting to feel safe people starting to think about the future I mean there was a lot of um, difficulties and a lot of barriers so there was um, a lot of expression of trauma um, and yeah. whether that be through mental health breakdowns or not understanding what was going on and um, memory recall being very difficult for people and um, all sorts of different challenges that people faced um, and a lot of health problems both physical and mental health problems that we were dealing with and as I started working there discovering that the current systems only provided a minimum of 45 days for somebody to receive that support. Um, and when I first started working in there, which was 2011, which was when the the National Referral Mechanism houses uh, went national. Prior to that they were just in London and in and 2011 they went national. So when I, I was working in there realising that people were being given 45 days, um, some of them a little bit longer and again now today, however many years later, the, that 45 day thing still exists in law in terms of its minimum, but generally speaking people's decisions do take a lot longer to, to, to make, um, numbers are a factor, I won't go into all the, the details of why. Um, but essentially what I observed in that period of time was that a lot of the people that I supported would then serve notice of well here's your decision um, and if it was positive you've got two weeks left to be in this supported accommodation and you've got to leave if it was negative you've got 48 hours left wow. to be in this supported accommodation and then you need to leave and even if they weren't a victim of trafficking they were often still quite vulnerable people and so To suddenly exit somebody into the community with only two weeks, even from a professional standpoint, having to trying to work out how to create that support plan and move somebody on in a healthy way is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. And and for that person to suddenly be told you're leaving, there's there's very little else for you after this, and there are all these systems that you've got to navigate, whether it's Housing, or benefits, or immigration, um, or finding a job, finding education, um, looking after your family, whatever it might be, you've got to do it alone. And understandably, I would see people either come back to try and contact me, or housing officers, GPs, solicitors whatever it might be, some sort of professional who was involved for a very specific reason, but not, a, not somebody who would take the responsibility of helping that person navigate what was happening to them, um, would contact and say, you know, why aren't you involved? Is there anything you can do? This person is falling apart. you know. And it would range from um, people's mental health um, getting worse, um, drug and alcohol problems developing um, debts, building up, tenancy breakdown and people not getting what they were entitled to, people not understanding the systems, people feeling really isolated and lonely, people getting back into exploitative relationships, people going missing and it was just kind of one thing after the other after the other after the other and while I worked as a social worker in statutory services I used to do support in the community for children who were in vulnerable homes and difficult situations and I kind of thought if we can do this with children why on earth aren't we creating a system that exists to support people who are moving on from safe houses and supporting them in the community and Mm -hmm. you know we we look at rehabilitation when people come out of serious physical health problems from from surgery and things in hospital and you know we have community services and and really what people have gone through is is almost the the kind of the mental health version of that where you have where people have often been very seriously abused and had their rights taken away from them and sometimes that will include the physical abuse as well and then we weren't considering actually we've put them into essentially A&E and or kind of short-term hospital admission and then we're not thinking about recovery we're not thinking about reintegration we're not thinking about the next steps and mm-hmm. um, so we're just putting a sticky plaster on essentially what is a gaping wound or a broken leg or whatever and kind of acting surprise that that hasn't worked mm-hmm. um and so basically came up with an idea long story short where I brainstormed on a piece of paper and um, drew a little stick person because <laughs> not? not always the best um and I brainstormed around it um what I could think of that would be all of the potential areas that people might face and struggle with or not know how to navigate or need support with when they left the safe house and then around that I brainstormed if somebody was going to walk alongside them and support them what would they need to be trained in in order to do that because that's a big thing that I'm passionate about is if you are supporting somebody and advocating for somebody it's really important that you understand their rights and that you understand what they're navigating because if they're coming to you to ask can you help me to navigate this and you literally don't know how to navigate it it's a bit of a problem um, and you can kind of cause sadly more damage by providing support that isn't well trained um, and well equipped and so it's like i said big passion um, and so the, the baseline of what i started started from the perspective of good quality training for people who would provide support to people who'd left the safe house. And it would be on a voluntary basis in terms of the person who was exited from the house would have the option to take it. They they didn't have to. They could say, no, I don't want follow on support. I don't want to engage. Um, Or they could say, yes, I I would like somebody to help me. And at the beginning, it was volunteers that we trained, um, mainly because A, there was no other option. I had no money. Um, And It was only something small at the beginning that was just like this should be done and the only way to do it is if we train people who've already had experience in supporting vulnerable people and so that was kind of where it started um i i did go to my boss and my boss said it's a good idea um we we won't support you in it and that that was again probably to do with the finances Mm. side of it um she said but if you can find one other person to do it with you then you should give it a go and that was probably one of the best pieces of advice I would receive I've had lots of other good pieces of advice afterwards but at the time that was probably one of the best pieces of advice that anybody could have given me to then go the long haul Mm. in starting this and if I tried to do it on my own I don't think there's any way it would have survived like I, I really don't um and the person I, I worked with a couple of people um who were really important but actually the one of the women that I worked with at the beginning and um, called Rachel who's on our, our website um and she's now our head of operations so still very much working with this mm-hmm. um, and I I knew her not very well I would say now she's the equivalent of a A sister almost, Um, just it's been forged in the fire. Um, But we had similar passions. She had worked for uh, refugee services doing reintegration work, mainly with men actually. And obviously I'd worked mainly with women. Um, And and she had just been made redundant, but she was also pregnant. And so she was about to get both um, maternity pay and redundancy pay. Um, so she had time and I gave up some of my days at the safe house so I, I think I worked three or four days at the safe house and then I worked three or four days um, doing snowdrop uh, so I was unwisely at the time working almost seven days a week Um wow. not really being paid to do so um, and yeah, and, and so anyway, we we, we started moving this forward and, and and the first kind of planning session, we literally followed Business for Dummies. Um, and I love this. Like, literally, because we didn't really know what we were doing in terms of business, but we both had a big vision and a big dream. And it's funny, the mission statement that we wrote is still the mission statement that we have today. It hasn't changed. Right. Because even sitting in a room with just a few of us, we wrote this mission statement that kind of includes... Influencing national and international practice, which is hilarious because that's back then. I'm like, "What? How did we come up with that when we were just sitting in this little room?" But actually, that is what we're now doing. Um, and so, my first chair of trustees always used to say to me, "Like, think bigger. You need to think big." Mm-hmm.
0: And I'd be like, "Blue sky." <laughs>
1: I'm like, I can't, "Don't make me do it." And he laughs at me now because I'm like, "I, I think I get it. I think." but okay. just
0: for the just for the listeners then so when you say business for dummies you genuinely mean as you've told me before that you've got the book business yep. for dummies it's not Correct. just an expression now you genuinely from scratch got that book which i think is fantastic yep. and you used it to set yep. up this project yeah yeah we literally fantastic. went through
1: business for dummies and just followed the steps and we were like okay we need to write a mission statement this is what a mission statement looks like let's have a brainstorm and write a mission statement. We need to write some values for the organisation. What do we care about? What, what do we want our values to be? And unfortunately, again, we had really similar values and, and those values have stuck with us and they are super, super important to us, those values. Um, so, yes, it's hilarious, like, kind of how it started. Um, yeah, I've never, I have never really had any business training when I was younger, other than I did, I did do things like Young Enterprise I, although wasn't at the top of my class, I was kind of middling. Um, I was always in, in charge of quite a few things. So you've had
0: those kind of there's there's been leadership qualities in you that have now been unlocked through stepping out and and um, doing this. Yeah. What what fascinates me about this whole journey of yours is is your ability to put this into practical application taking it from something that you were passionate about from a job that you were doing where you started to notice that things weren't quite as you thought they should be. Um, So I, in my previous life, was a nurse. And one of the things we were always taught in our training was you're thinking about the patient outcome. From the moment that patient comes into the hospital, you're thinking about the outcome. What happens to them when they leave the hospital? So you're planning for their exit from the beginning. And that's because it's a patient journey and we're thinking about health and we're thinking about the physical person but when it comes to victims of human trafficking now this is their their, their physical health has been affected but equally they've got post-traumatic stress haven't they from the situation they've been through so now their mental health and their mental well-being and their psychological uh, well-being has been damaged and the rehabilitation which is an important word here that was the thing that you noticed was missing in the in the victim journey wasn't it i hate the word victim by the way i think we can come up with a nicer language for that um it always reminds me that I don't know about you when you think about this word victim but i can understand it being the word used when somebody's going through through it but once they're in in the safe house once they've come out of it they're they're no longer enslaved yeah you they're
1: know? no longer in a situation yeah
0: the word victim just just makes me feel so it's like a trapped word um because i think we we owe it to people that survive these things to give them you know even a bigger name than survivor because they have they've come through something so horrific mm. and, I agree But you noticed that rehabilitation was the part that really was missing, um, for, for these human beings, for for human life. And so you've set about, uh, taking everything that you've pulled together over the years of your career. Mm -hmm. And then you've sat down with your friend, Rachel, and you've brainstormed with this book business for dummies, and you've applied what you noticed about the rehabilitation. You've then mapped it out. You have then started to um, apply it yeah. and the project has moved forward, yep. which is stunning. <laughs> so thinking about all of those things, what do you think has been to this point? Maybe you could list a whole list, but really what sticks out for you is the biggest challenge that you have faced as the CEO of Snowdro- Snowdropped Project and actually as the person that dreamed this all up. <laughs> yeah, I think. reality
1: the challenges change
0: with each step of
1: the journey yeah um for the first three years i think the the biggest challenge was was that for
0: listeners how long has the snowdrop project been in place so
1: we launched it on the 1st of may 2012 when over 100 people turned up to launch and i was Mm. like where have these people come from Like. (laughs) How are they here? Um, And I remember me and Rachel being like, well, I guess we're doing something then if there are this many people. Um, But because of that, we we actually then took another six six months, I think, to develop our policies and procedures and our referral process and our applications for volunteers and our training programme. So we didn't start training people till August and we didn't start supporting people till October. So, yeah, operational October 2012, we became an official charity October 2014. So two years later, we became an official charity. And then two years after that, we got our first loss of very large funding. So it was that those first kind of the first couple of years I was balancing doing a part-time job at the safe house and running the project and realizing that it was growing um, and i ended up leaving my job at the safe house and not having an income which i thought would last maybe six months and lasted a couple of years um, so the hardest bit at the beginning was the balance of my own life with setting up something that i was really passionate about and seeing change um, I, I've written a blog called um, "Me, Me, Myself, and Indiana Jones," um, <laughs> and it, it's all about the. Do you know the 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 film? I'm now tangenting slightly. Um, you know the film with uh, the the step of faith with the bridge mm. and mm. That kind of thing. And um, and I, I write I've written about that because when I was younger, that film was often shown at like youth groups and various things I went to Mm. as like when you do something significant you've got to take a step of faith and Mm. all this kind of thing and I said having take having done that journey having taken a step of faith the bit that was always put on a pedestal for me which is that first step is not the hard bit like Mm. that's not difficult yeah because that first step is is really full of energy and passion and, and encouragement and voices and people being like yeah this is amazing it's incredible that you're doing this and this kind of thing and, and you kind of like that first step you're like well if the bridge isn't there and i fall okay i fall the the hardest bit is in the middle if you kind of carry that analogy on of the indian jones clip he's he's in the middle of the bridge and the sand that he's thrown across the bridge to kind of be able to see it has run out actually at that point you are stood in what looks like a ravine in the Mm. middle of thin air Mm. you've lost all the voices that are telling you to keep going because that excitement from the beginning has kind of ended and you don't know how much longer that bridge is going to go and you don't know if it's even going to reach the other side Um, um, (laughs) and I think for me that was the biggest challenge in that point was halfway through or partway through that journey being like i don't know if this is worth it mm. my my life is falling apart mm. i don't have any stability and and actually the, the the things that kept me going were my friends and family um and then the the individual stories of the glimmers of hope of change change lives so yeah. Whether it was somebody getting, you know, one of the people that I supported who received 49,000 pounds of compensation wow. and went to university to study to be a midwife, wow. um, to the woman who came to us with a negative decision who didn't speak much English, who was about to be made homeless and had had all of her possessions stolen by the trafficker, to now being a person who has got permanent status. Is believed has had all of her property returned to her. Has got compensation. Has got her own place through the council, um, and has started working properly for the first time. Um, to somebody, a woman who was reunited with her children who were being pursued by the trafficker back home, and we worked with the Red Cross to do a re like to to bring the children over away yeah. from the trafficker. Um, yeah so that they were in safety Mm. and like it was those i weirdly enough the stories from the first few years are actually the ones that really like Mm. i I can feel like i know them Mm. um and they will always stay with me because those were the stories that often kept me going so even though we were trying to do things to change their life and to help reintegrate them and move them forwards, actually their stories were what kept me going yeah um and yeah, so the, the the challenge at the beginning, I think, was keeping going, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and 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 really the thing was obviously we although we didn't have status, so we had to get status, and that was really hard. I won't go into the details of the challenges that we went into with that, because um, that's a much longer story. And then when we got that status, then um, finding an income for the charity and realizing, you know, this is going to succeed. As although many people seem to have this weird idea that charity seems to like run on thin air, um, <laughs> actually, if you want it to last, it, it has to be financed. It like it, it's finance. going to yeah. the people who are working in it have lives yeah. and in the same way yeah. that we believe in trying to restore those lives, we need to make sure that the people who are working for us also have the ability to have those type of lives. Yeah. And so I, I'm a really big believer in paying people properly for the work that they do. So we got to a stage where I yeah I was I was on the floor basically um, and it was a case of go big or go home. Um, and we applied to the big lottery for uh, quite a significant sum of money um, and we got it. And I remember, interestingly, Woo-hoo. I have a year left in me and mm. that was the 31st of August, 2015. Mm. And I, me and Rachel worked our butts off mm. and the money from the big lottery came through to the bank account on the 31st of August, 2016
0: wow um, that.
1: and so it's just it's one of those like there, there are quite a few things like that in the snowdrop journey that are like really significant so yeah. then, anyway that was that was the first challenge um and getting through that and then when we got finance it was yeah. um taking on a staff team who were going to be just as passionate and do you know what like that almost wasn't challenging that was mm. an absolute delight mm. loved it Mm. um we still have most of the staff that we employed at the beginning still with us Um, um, and that's lovely and we're really passionate about trying to treat our staff well yes and
0: and i love this about the project That the staff are equally as important as the people that you are taking care of. That this whole thing of restoration doesn't just apply to the people you're taking care of. It applies to, you know, you first. You know, I love the fact that this, it's a holistic way of um, taking care of the collective as a whole, not just a portion, which is, which creates sustainability. Which is why your staff have have been with you for so long. Um, just coming back to that word, status. Just for for people listening, they might not know what that means. So, um, could you just explain what that meant for for the project when you were going for status?
1: Yeah, sure. So you can run as an unregistered, um, uh, sort of unofficially registered organization. Yeah. Um, actually, you can always you can keep running as as a sort of a voluntary organization. A lot of small organizations do but you are sort of kneecapped by right. the fact that you can only take in a certain amount of money it's quite a small amount I believe it's maybe five, 10, yeah, 10, 10 10 spend, something 10, like that 10, it's 10. quite small um so when we realized if we really want to do this we're going to need a lot more money because we're going to need to employ people to do what we want to do yes. um so we're going to need more than five thousand ten thousand pounds so you then go through a process of deciding what type of um, structure you want for the organization we decided that we would go for what's called a charitably incorporated organization um, essentially it means an official charity mm. um, which then means that um, nobody so when people talk to me, they're like, oh, so do you own, you own the business? And I'm like, no, I can't. I can't own the business. It's not legal for me to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am employed by the charity as the CEO. Mm-hmm. I don't own it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that um, process of going through, you have to kind of develop sort of rules that cha- the charity are run by. You have to get a voluntary board of directors who I report to and discuss things with, um, and we have, uh, like I said, a, a, a guide, it's called the Constitution, but a guide by um, how we operate and how we run, that they have to, to run by, and um, yeah, and that should have taken us, ironically, 45 days, and it took nine months for us to, to get that. Um, And what you do is once you're registered, once the Charity Commission approves you, you get a registration number. And then that registration number means we can apply for grants. We're legally allowed to do fundraising to however much we we want to do it by. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But it also means I have to myself and the board um, have to write a report every year to the Charity Commission, basically to show that we're accountable, that we're spending our finances well, that we're not trying to dupe anybody and kind of, funnel away money somewhere um so there's there's a lot of accountability in it becoming a legal entity Um, and so that's what getting status was it was it was essentially making us legal so that we were allowed to take in more than five to ten thousand pounds
0: fabulous fabulous and so um you've come along this journey you've started to share some of the challenge that you've experienced and we we you know from what we're hearing we can we can learn from it that it's so important that you have cheerleaders along the way those people that are pushing you and championing you on but quite often when people set out on this whole journey of of pursuing a passion and wanting to put it into practical application it's that word commitment isn't it and um i always remember being taught that the word commitment is continuing to do what you said you'd do long after the mood you said it in has disappeared it's so true, isn't it, to stay committed, and you need those cheerleaders, and you have to keep going back to that why. Uh, there's a great book with, called Start with Why, written by uh, Simon Sinek. I don't know if you've heard of it, but he talks about knowing your why is so fundamental to keeping you going. When when that Indiana Jones, you know, bridge that is on that ravine part, that sand has run out, and you cannot see the way forward, and you feel like you're now free falling. <laughs> it's so important to come back to that why. So to hear you talk about those early days of the cases that you know you have helped you've changed the legacy of those people you know you've 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 changed the lives of those people and not only have you impacted them you've impacted those lives that they are now impacting you know that lady that's become a midwife my gosh what will she share with the people that she looks after the babies that she delivers you know my um... My dream
1: with that, and it—it's it, unlikely to kind of come sorry, i'm Really emotional about that. Um, my my dream of that is that if I if I ever have kids, that I when I going oh, through the hospital, that. No, just because <laughs> I think, wow, that would be for me such a good example of how life is. I think sometimes we see things in this position of like, well, I'm here to help that person because they're in a difficult position or whatever. I, we're all here, we're, we're all here to try to work out how to help each other's lives. And actually there will come a time where I will need support for whatever reason. And I do need support uh, on a continuous basis. And for me, it, that would be my dream, would be to walk in the hospital and that she would be my midwife and that she would be the person to, to make sure that I'm safe. Wow.
0: Um, Isn't that incredible? That's, you know, it's the cycle of flow that you know you have you have um given her her dignity back but in the same time she will get to recycle that back to you and to those other people that she is now giving that sense of dignity to through being their midwife and then the 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 young girl that's gone off to university you know all of these incredible credible stories these are why these are the why that keep you going across that this is your sand yeah yeah sand effectively the why yeah. these people are your sand they're the ones that keep revealing more and more of that bridge that you are now crossing that step of faith and wow you know how thankful are we that you took that step of faith incredible so with with um with snowdrop right now where's the future headed lara what what are you currently up to and what are you hoping to achieve in in this in this sector
1: yeah i mean Two very big questions.
0: I <laughs> know oh, yeah. um, oh, you're a big thinker. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Do you know what? I know, I never really thought that I was get
0: it on the podcast now, you see. We can come back to it in years and we'll go. Do you remember when you said that? Look <laughs> at what happened. Oh, yeah. it out yeah. there. <laughs> so I mean where we're currently at is
1: is really exciting. The organization has grown like nobody's <laughs> like a weed apart from hopefully it's not. Um and so we are about to employ our sixteenth member of staff I wow. think. um which is really exciting
0: and I love that. I think it's really important for the listeners to hear that word employ. These are not volunteers. the project yeah. is actually giving life and you know helping people have livelihood through what you're doing yeah. it's such a it's such a an effective, efficient giving project
1: yeah we we're, we're really really passionate about that and like i said we are really uh, committed to try and make sure that we employ people um to a to a good standard that's competitive with um you know the social work that happens in statutory services we're we're pretty passionate about making sure that they're paid competitively because i believe in in that level of standard
0: yeah. um,
1: but the um yeah and, and again in terms of client wise you know we've grown from supporting kind of eight people at a time you know kind of maybe 10 to 15 a year to it's something like 120 130 a year plus um that we support now which to grow that in a couple of years or so is is relatively crazy and it's but it's really exciting to see and we've developed different services so we've got a special arm for mental health because we employ counsellors so and we have our kind of caseworker that's based on the social work principles and practices program and a community program and we have a house renovation program um which is all really exciting so we yeah we're we're, we're growing further we just opened in barnsley just before corona started so we we literally launched it and then Corona happened. We're like, great, okay. We're still intending to be there. And um, Hannah, who's the, the area lead for Barnsley, is developing uh, professional connections during Corona and building up those referral pathways in advance, so that when we can properly work there, it will be easy enough to develop those those kind of pathways. So she's doing a great job of that. And then we are in the process of buying a building. Um, it's hopefully a month off maybe, it being in our name um, and that sort of dream developed actually a couple of years ago when we were, we were being pinged around the city quite a bit because Sheffield is quite a developing um, city at the moment and what we found was that buildings that were had already been developed were too expensive for us to rent and then the buildings that we could afford were the buildings that were listed for development. And so we would only then be able to have short-term rental options there. And so we were kind of pinged around. And I remember saying to the trustees, you know, kind of 18 months, two years ago, this isn't sustainable and I don't want to create this environment for our clients where they don't know where we're going to be. And, you know, can they rely on the service? You know, we've moved three times. This This isn't what I want to do and we're having to spend money on refurbishing the offices and making the office a friendly environment every time we move and Mm. i was like this is just this isn't sustainable what if we dream big and what if we look at buying a building and you know we look at that being then similar i guess when you're buying a house we're not putting money down the drain when we pay the mortgage actually it's becoming our building And let's see if we can pay just what we pay on rent or less than. So actually the money going out is less and it's investing in something for the long term, the longevity of of, um, the charity and for clients to rely on. It could also potentially be a revenue stream in that we're looking at renting out parts of it that we don't use. And so again, we've got that level of consistency where we can provide and make sure actually in the long run, we're not going anywhere and we can hopefully communicate to clients that you can trust that we're not going to be a service that disappears we're not going to be a service that you kind of feel uncertain of and um, and it's also a building that we can take ownership of so we can create it into the environment that we want it can be a therapeutic environment it can be an environment that feels like home um and and that's that was what we wanted to create and so i started having this kind of conversation and then all of a, that then became a reality of like okay like come up with a strategy come up with a, a way that we will do this and again if you would have talked to me about strategy four five six years ago I probably would have been like <laughs> be um, whereas and somebody once said to me like I think you have a really strategic brain And I remember being like I don't even know what that means <laughs> <laughs> so, all right um and so yeah, so that's kind of what we came up with was let's give this a really good go, um, and in the last sort of 18 months, um, and I'm really proud of the fundraising team. They're just amazing, what they've managed to achieve, and the people that we've got on board, and like I, the team just I I cannot tell you how incredible the members of the team that we employ are. Like I just I marvel at the skills and the passion and the things that they bring to the team. They're just yeah. That I, I'm constantly amazed by it. Like, I feel so privileged to be wow. such a great organization because of the people. And then, yeah, so anyway, we, we, we built up funds and weirdly the builder, I can't quite reveal where it is, but we have a very weird relationship with this building in that we viewed it to rent at one point and we were like, it's amazing. But I think it's a bit too expensive and I, I like I, I just, we can't we can't afford it and there's difficulties in that we would have needed the ground floor and we couldn't have the ground floor because the ground floor was already rented and we were like such a shame it's such a great building <laughs> and then when we first started exploring the idea of buying a building it it then came on the market for sale and we were like well let, we should go look at it so we went to look at it and we were just like i mean this would be perfect like it, it, it's the perfect building and we were like, it's a way off us raising the money. Like, there's no way we can do this. Anyway, we, we were raising this money and we were in constant conversation with the seller and like, <laughs> kind of like we are getting the raising money. Anyway, it got to, oh, I would say October, September, October of last year. Mm. And we were close mm. to like getting enough that we'd raised. But we and we had various promises, but we haven't actually had the money come through mm. um, or approved or whatever. Mm. And the, 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 I remember the seller coming to us and being like, "Look, there are other people that are interested. We're going to get offers on the table. Are you are you ready to offer?" And I remember being like, "No. Like, if you could give me another two months, we'd be we'd be ready to offer." But I'm not. The organisation isn't ready to offer. And he's like, "I'm really sorry. The seller wants offers on the table." And I was like, "Okay." I I'm just gonna have to let that go. And um, and I like I always remember somebody saying to me, if it's yours, even if you let it go, <laughs> come back to you. And I don't know if that's true, but sometimes I some sometimes that that mm. I haven't always seen that, so I won't say that as a as a general, but mm. let it go, kind of gussed about it. And we'd start looking at other buildings. We found another one that was that was a good building. Um And we were like, okay, this building will work for us. This, this is okay. We can go for this. And we were so close to getting like the the sort of deeds written. We haven't got to the point of like going to solicitors, but we were really close, being like, okay, let's make this official. Mm. And I got an email from the the kind of the agent of this building saying "Um, the sale fell through. Are you still interested? And I was (laughs) like, are you kidding? (laughs) Wow. Um, I was like
0: yeah we're still interested so <laughs> right,
1: do we go up do do we do this so we went to look around and we were like yeah do you know what this is this is still the right building for us let's go for it um so yeah and at that point we had we had everything that we needed we had um so we, we built up 65 percent of the cost of the building and then it's enough for us to get a mortgage for that, that last little bit and um, that we can wow. pay off and so yeah. So we got to that point and, and now we're in the very last stages of negotiation, um, which is really exciting. And we want to look at creating this kind of safe hub, I guess, this place in the city where people feel at home. They feel safe to come to and they know even if like five years down the line, mm. they hit something that's difficult. They, they stroll with something and they're like, I don't know who to turn to. They always know actually I know where you know the, the organization is always going to be in that building so yeah. I know I can come back there and say talk to somebody and say I was with you five years ago is there any chance you could just help me with this this thing yeah. um and so yeah so I'm, I'm really I'm really excited for that it's a massive challenge I'm not gonna lie I'm a little if I'm being really honest I'm, I'm slightly scared
0: um about that's your, that's your new normal isn't it <laughs> since 2012 that's your new normal just running slightly scared we slightly scared yeah pretty much but um allowing it to hold you back
1: yeah and that you know it's there's a new standard that comes with this i was talking to rachel about um how the people that we employ now in the organization you know we've, we've really tried to make sure that we are tight in our policies and procedures and things but like you know we've been growing at a rapid pace mm. for three four years and some of those things we're, we're getting in place and we're learning but there's always going to be improvements and developments and and actually at this point where people come and join you where you're a, a charity that owns a building employs 16 17 staff mm. they kind of come with this expectation of like mm. okay this organization is going to have this together and if i'll have this and if i'll have this and i'll know this and, and actually coming into it and being like really honest with like we are We are wanting to be the best that we can possibly be. And I I try to communicate to the staff all the time. If you see something that you feel needs improvement or you think should be looked at Mm -hmm. and you don't think we are, in a nice way, um, Mm -hmm. please come and tell us. Like, come and talk to me because I may not know. Like, it has got big. And I... I do want to try and have eyes on the ball of different things, but actually, you guys are much more on the ground now, and you will see things I don't see. Mm-hmm. And if you don't tell me, either you'll just get angry because I've not seen it. Um, mm-hmm. But if I if I'm not told about it, I literally can't deal with it. And so for me, it's I'm I'm really trying to work out how we communicate to everybody mm-hmm. in the organisation, how to. How to be our best advocates and how to be our eyes and ears, and mm. know that in what we do, we're always trying to make sure that we live out our values. Mm. And if you see something in the organisation that doesn't represent that value, mm. please flag it up. Please raise it to us because actually, I, I want to address that. And it might take me six months to address because sometimes these things take a while to like turn. Mm. Um, but actually, my heart is is to address that if you see it. And and it's it's the same. I during Corona we've had more regular Zoom calls as a staff team and we've been reporting on the different things that we're doing because we're not in the same location. Yeah. So I've been reporting a lot on things that I do in my job as CEO in terms of national advocacy mm-hmm. um, because very nicely we, we are turned to quite a bit now for mm-hmm. input into like, how do we improve things for survivors? You know, mm-hmm. what's wrong with the national systems and what mm-hmm. should we be looking at? And one of the staff said, oh, um, have you have you engaged with the recent issue on um, legal aid? And I said, you know what? I actually, I've I've seen it come through on chain emails. Mm -hmm. I actually haven't really looked at it because so many things get sent to me directly Mm -hmm. that I often end up reading those things. And if I've just seen it in a chain, Mm -hmm. I may not do that. However, if you see something and you Mm -hmm. think, as an organisation, I would like us to have a voice. I think it's important for our clients that Mm -hmm. as Snowdrop, we are on the field we're talking about it and we're trying to push that forward I was like please send it to me Mm. Uh, don't presume that I've seen it because I may not have done Mm. and 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 just ping it to me and Mm. say I really think this is important Um, and so they did like the person sent it to me and I had a look through it and I engaged with the the young um legal aid association on it and I had a, a zoom call with them about like how can I help how can i get involved how can i i use my position and and then they were like we're well, really excited to hear from you because i'm i've become one of the advisors to the anti-slavery commissioner and they were like when we got contacted by you we were actually like we wondered whether you would be willing to talk to her about that and kind of make sure that it's, it's on her page and i was like yeah if you can send me the work that you've done i'm happy to to kind of put that in front and so mm. i did contact her she was aware of it she wasn't aware of some of the details and some of the deadlines but she was very mm. much aware of it and so she then i was talking to her policy lead who was developing some of the stuff that she was writing on it who then said to me like "Oh, can you give me more information on this and i was like you know what let me now step back mm. connect you with the guys who mm. know way more than i do mm. um, because the Young, Leader, Young Legal Aid Association have done lots of work on this and so then connected them up. And, and that's been really positive. And, and similarly, we do a lot of work with the Anti-Trafficking Monitoring Group. But I think for me, I'm learning as we get bigger, the importance of trying to regularly communicate to the staff. I want to know what you're passionate about and what you're seeing on the ground, because my job at the top mm. is, I'm very fortunate in that I've been given a national voice Mm. Um, because of Snowdrop and, and we want to make sure where we can we give survivors a voice and where we can facilitate that in a safe way we will but yeah. where that isn't potentially safe and where I have a platform to be able to say do you know what this is what we see and um, this is some of the issues that need to change mm. I was like I, I want to be able to use that position but I also want to hear from you I don't want to make it off off the top of my head mm. and And because i'm no longer doing support work and i'm being the ceo i'm reliant on the staff and and that for me is how the team works it shouldn't be me being like well you have to do this and we do this Mm -hmm. and this kind of thing i'm like i want it to be collaborative um and and that's one of my challenges one of my challenges now as we grow is looking at that communication and that those structures in the organisation because where when we were an organization of five or six, that was actually a lot easier, you know, to do. It was really easy to have those kind of conversations in the office. And now we're an organization of like 16 mm-hmm. and I have like a senior leadership team that reports to me. And now we're getting some managers under them and then we've got we've got structures which are really it's good to have how do i make sure that as an organization we operate in a way that is cohesive supportive valuing of each other and collaborative in the way that we we work and that for me is is really important and it's and it's a real struggle sometimes where like one of the things that's hard is like as an organization of five people everybody's voice is important and then their voice is like a fifth of like Mm -hmm. what's being considered then when you grow to an organisation of 16, you're like, everybody's voice is important. But then mm. it's a 16th mm. of all of the voices. And it's it's trying to work out how to continue that conversation and work out how how can I empower you as my staff to empower the survivors mm. to be able to feel like they have a place to input into their own care and input into our organisation and then input into the wider mm. sort of national systems that, that go on. and. And I think that is a conversation that is always difficult. I think for for any organisation, and almost it it needs to be something that is almost constantly within discussion in leadership because I don't know if we will ever go. That's the way we do it. There we go, bingo, like solved. Everybody does it um, yeah. because it's so different for different groups and different sizes and different dynamics and and so it almost it has to be fluid and it has to be creative and it has to be dynamic and it has to be a conversation mm. um and there has to be the freedom to try and not get it right and try again um because that that's sort of how i've de- developed Snowdrop job has gone cool this has gone really well here we need to change this um, well, I think
0: what we're seeing here, Lara, is so beautiful in the fact that, you know, the way that you would listen to a survivor is the same way you listen to your staff. So it's that sense of um, accessibility. I think I think the challenge that, that people have when, when their projects are growing, when you have gone from being that person who was in the position of those people you're now leading, you were the eyes and ears on the ground at one point, which is how the project grew you've become removed from that in the sense of your positioning but you're still communicating with your staff saying actually i know where you've been i know where you've i know what 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 your role is like so I want you to know that I know that you're the eyes and ears and I want you to help me to continue being your spokesperson if you like and I think that that's that's a challenge for people isn't it as they grow their projects sometimes you can become removed from the very thing that you first started because you are now leading the way forward but what I think is so beautiful is the fact that you give your your um your staff that level of accessibility to you um, you know that your door is always open and it's like this is me hi I'm Lara you know my title might be CEO but I still you know I still want to work amongst you I still want to still want to be down there on the ground um, but you are my ears to the ground and you give them permission to be that yeah. which That's is
1: really really what I want and I, I, I try to constantly challenge myself in I'm doing that and and actually one of the the best people in that is and again it's this relationship that I've built with with Rachel and we talked about trying to make sure our um, relationship in 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 the organization is also indicative of how we would want things to run with other people and and we have very much a relationship where and it's a both and she's called me on stuff where if we see something that we think actually that either that doesn't fit in with who i know you are or that doesn't fit in with the values that we have as an organization and we always we were discussing this the other day we never approach that conversation from a position of doubt or pessimism or like Mm -hmm. um i think that you've done this out of a bad place we always come at it from the perspective of i believe the best about you and going asking questions and being like did you have you can, can you talk to me about what happened the other day with this because it's not consistent with what I know you to be or this value or I'm I'm wondering if there's something else going on here like let's let's kind of talk about it and we've both challenged each other on that and um I mean so I'm I'm somebody who cries I'm quite um, not in professional settings actually I have a very different face in professional settings but um in that kind of situation like she just challenged me and I'm like no Um, but it's really helpful and it's helpful to have relationships where you you always believe the best about the person but to the point that you can challenge them on that behavior and that's one of the things that we're trying to also get into to the organization is believe the best and then where you see something that's outside of that in love um and kindness challenge it yes. like but from a from a position of optimism not from a position of pessimism and yes. doubting them and yes. doubting their intention but come at it from a different perspective yes. and and that is another is a part of that value of valuing each other of of being having integrity and having honesty and um and those are things that are really really important um to us as as we as we run um yeah i feel like i'm tangenting
0: slightly Um, i think it's so important that when we do you do address those things you're addressing it from a position of hope and not despair so you know when you're having these conversations of challenging um one another on what's being said and what's really being said um whether that's with rachel or whether it's with a staff member is the very fact that you're coming at it from the approach of kindness and wanting to see the best in the person and wanting to move forward from that but you know coming at it with that baton of hope passing you know this is what we're dealing with this is what we're noticing but we want to bring hope into this particular situation that this is how we can navigate through this um whereas sometimes you know you know i've worked in uh i've worked in the nhs and uh it's not always the baton of hope that's passed on quite often you can come out of a meeting like that where it's just despair yeah <laughs> yeah I now um and i think it's lovely and we could talk all day long so i want to be able to invite you back because there's two things that i've written down i've been making my little notes here as you've been talking i think there's two things that i'd really like us to be able to talk about in a future uh conversation is um, number one I'd like to really address the the burnout that you experience because I think it's so important for us to talk about these things because I am talking to people that are running charities that are doing work within the modern slavery and human trafficking arena where their hearts are in it but they've all given me a similar story that somewhere along the journey there's been a burnout um, so i really would love to for us to talk about that because i think that might be encouraging and empowering for people to hear about um because they may be experiencing it themselves or it may resonate with them thinking oh, my goodness thank goodness i'm not i'm not doing this alone um and how you overcame that but also i'd love us to be able to talk on a future conversation about the actual victim journey so yeah. we could take the listeners on the actual journey a victim goes through um yeah. Because it's so important isn't it that when you start to hear the human side of this i mean all the policies and procedures and legislation have got their their place on one side but when you actually get back to the heart of the matter this is actually an individual that's been affected whose life has been impacted through an evil abhorrent crime um of you know being enslaved and trafficked that um sometimes we can move far away from that can't we but bringing it back to the victim's voice, which you are giving the victims a voice and an opportunity in what you do. But, you know, their, their world has been turned upside down.
1: Mm.
0: And it's so easy for us sitting in our homes to, to, to ignore that and think, you know, okay, that's great. Um, mm. People are working on that. But do you, not, do you feel the same way as me that I'm so passionate about every single person right now? in the united kingdom knowing what modern slavery and human trafficking is Mm. bringing that subject to the family table and Mm. saying this is what's happening this is human exploitation this is a conversation that we need to have because we need to we need to change the narrative in our communities from one of indifference not just knowing about it but then saying how do we make a difference and then actually doing something absolutely as we draw this to a close then, I'm going to give you the last word. Aren't I good? (laughs) You know, when people say, oh, she always has the last word. Well, today, Lara, you get to have the last word. So finally, what would would your call to action be for anybody listening right now when we're talking about human trafficking?
1: So you did put this in the one beforehand and I did try and write a couple of notes (laughs) Um, because I was like, it helps to have that. Um, one, so I've written three things um, one would be what you've just mentioned which is looking at our own part to play um, there's a lot of really good discourse at the moment going on about slavery um, and a lot of it is to do with the history of slavery and that's, that's brilliant, I'm really glad that that discourse is opening up I would like to see the next step of the journey of looking at our own collaboration in in seeing that actually modern slavery does exist and people often say that's really overwhelming because how are we meant to know and I, and I, what I usually say is yeah you're right like it is and you cannot know at the moment every single area because we don't have the systems to do it however what I would say is a where you hear that it is happening and certainly if it's not being addressed then don't shop there like as hard as that is if you have heard that it is happening in an organization and they're not addressing that, then don't shop there. Um, Similarly, I have done where I can do. So I, I, one of my releases from, certainly from burnout um, is uh, exercise. Um, I'm now very passionate about exercise. And when I had to replace my trainers, I know that trainers are an area where a lot of modern slavery exists. And so I, did some research using a website called the Ethical Consumer, and one of the brands that came up top in terms of how they look after their staff and their overseas um, recruitment and their supply chains was an organisation called Innovate, which I N O V dash eight. And I from that I then went and researched their company as well, and found yeah actually not only do they just kind of like address it, but actually they actively employ people well. In those countries, mm. and and I thought, yeah, brilliant. The trainers are not more expensive than another than a high street brand, and um, so and they're really nice. So I was like, okay, that those are my trainers, and um, that's where I shop for my um, my workout gear. And I I think there will be other places where I buy things. Where I mean, I don't even I don't think there is. I don't, I'm not sure whether there is any organisation that produces sugar that doesn't have. Slavery and it's so then it becomes really difficult because you're like I if we need to buy sugar sadly there isn't anything to do that which I guess would then lead on to my next call to action which would be to join in on petitions and lobbying mm. when I was younger I never used to think that they made a difference Um I was like well really who am I to just, just sign this document It can't really mean that much it actually does mm. now being somebody who's involved in lo- policy and lobbying mm. I've seen the difference at those those kind of online petitions and campaigns and letters to MPs, what that actually does. And similarly in leadership where I would say to my staff, please tell me, Mm. I may not know about it. Mm. I often now think with some of our MPs, like tell them because Mm. they might not know. Mm. Send that letter that's been pre-written for you, that all you need to do is stick in your postcode and it sends Mm. it to them. Because maybe you're the only person that's doing that. Mm. and and so what I would say is like join in with your petitioning and your lobbying because it does make a difference and it does mean that people in power become more aware and potentially do look at it and I have seen change happen because of that and so I would really encourage people like Mm. engage in that become Mm. more aware of what what you're going into Um, and then lastly I mean there's always become more aware of of trafficking and, and what the signs are but actually I think for me, the other thing, and it goes around as a catchphrase on Facebook quite a lot, but for me, it sounds really cheesy and really cliche, but in your interactions with people, um, be kind and be empowering. Because for me, that's the opposite spirit Mm. of trafficking and exploitation. Mm. Trafficking and exploitation is never done from the perspective of kindness or empowerment. No it's done from the perspective of oppression and control yeah and so I think as, as, sm- as weird and small as that sounds I just think more of us that can come at the world with the opposite spirit mm. to go actually I'm not going to take part in that mm. um I think <laughs> the better things could be and it sounds really trite but I do think actually like even that is a step forward and going you know to the person on the counter that you're interacting with be kind mm-hmm. to them you, you may not know what they're going through absolutely um, and your attention to somebody may be the thing that they need that is, is going to stop them from leaving their job or losing that and being vulnerable to whatever it might be um, it just sometimes taking in perspective of other people's lives is is really important
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and not judging um because we don't know the journeys that other people have lived and when you do the job that I've done and you hear the stories that I've heard you you can't like it's almost impossible to to come at it from a perspective of judgment because you're just like the, what the lives that people have lived are beyond our imagination of what people have faced and so yeah that I know that sounds like an odd one to put in there as a last one but I think that would be
0: I I don't think it's an odd one I think it's our new normal that we need to be coming at humanity from because what you're saying there I can very much um, back up with by going out into the world and engaging from a position of kindness and compassion you never know when you're going to uncover somebody that is being trafficked because that's what happened to me Mm-hmm. through my interaction with somebody through kindness and compassion every time i saw them i was just kind and compassionate to them they weren't used to that behavior it, i was able to uncover the fact that this lady had been trafficked uh, i've got time to share that right now but
1: oh, about just, about from,
0: just yeah. from engaging with her yeah she was being told not to speak to anybody else she's been she was being set to work in a certain area and um just by showing her kindness, she built up her trust with me, and eventually it led to us uncovering that she was being trafficked. Mm. So you know, your your generosity of spirit, your your humility, and your kindness and your compassion could actually be doing something to uncover something that's quite evil. Mm. I think it's really powerful what you're saying. Um, and coming back just to legislation, then when people can sign petitions and you know lobby Parliament, where would they go to find these petitions?
1: good question um the best one that i could the best suggestions that i can make is by following various if people are engaged with social media and i know everybody's not engaged with social media um but i would say following organizations that are doing something so following ourselves we we tend to put out on social media the campaigns and the things that we're supporting um but there are other great ones. So the Anti-Trafficking Monitoring Group are specific in doing that. The Human Trafficking Foundation are specific in doing that. So I would say find, find the organisations that are engaging with that because the likelihood is they'll share with the public and say, please, would you get on board and sign this? Would you send this to your MPs? That's probably the easiest way to do it because it's quite hard to find a specific location yeah. other than probably following organisations
0: yeah brilliant and we also our friends at justice and care they've got a great campaign yeah. running at the moment hashtag knock the doors i've done my photo have you done yours <laughs> yes
1: yeah. yeah we're starting to look at the, putting that out and they're also about to launch their new piece of research next wednesday oh, I think. fantastic so yeah so we, we took part in that research with them so
0: brilliant absolutely amazing well uh, i had the pleasure of uh, speaking to Bryn last week so his podcast will be out soon and uh, and then um yeah hopefully we'll get jamie and christian on as well um so it's just been fabulous talking to you we've already used that all that time already but um i just love what you've said and in summing up you know everything that you have said to us today you know it's so important that we keep championing this cause isn't it that we keep speaking about this cause that we keep it you know i keep saying on the table you know for human consumption it's not an easy subject it's a very sensitive subject but it involves human beings just like you and i and -hmm. it could so easily be you know i have children it could so easily be one of my children it could so easily have been me if you know exploitation is wherever there's human life there is exploitation and to, to speak about these subjects is so, so important. So I really wanna thank you for talking to me today. I want to honor you for everything that you are doing in the arena of um, you know working with people that have been damaged by this process of, of human trafficking. But I'm excited. I wanna invite you to come back so we can talk about those other things that I've said. Yes. There's so much more for you to share. God, so, <laughs> fabulous it's been a pleasure an absolute pleasure and um it's my privilege to know you and um i'm excited i'm excited for for people to get to know you through this podcast because i think there's there's so much in people power isn't it people listening today you know we're you're sharing your journey you're empowering them through this information so you're giving them a voice to be able to go and speak out and say this is wrong and we need to do something so if people, like if people do that, fantastic! That, yes, come on, that's <laughs> what this is all about. So um, if people want to follow the Snowdrop projects where do they find you?
1: Uh, all over. So we're on every platform. So on Twitter, if you look up Snowdrop Project, um, I think I'm on Twitter as Lara Snowdrop, so people can find me through that. And then Facebook, Snowdrop Project. Um, Instagram Snowdrop Project Um, and then our website we have a newsletter that we send out to people who are interested in what we're doing I think on a monthly basis and people can just if they go to www.snowdropproject.co.uk that they will find all the information on there and there's there's stories of people that we've supported there's the impact that we're making there's also more information about the signs there's more information about the research that's been done and so yeah go and check it out there's there's lots of things on there and if people are really passionate feel free to um donate because obviously we literally cannot survive without people financially supporting us as well so that's also really important
0: (laughs) fantastic and you know good luck with the um you don't need luck i just want to wish you every success with the the purchasing and completion of the building i can't wait for uh for you to say it's happening i want to be on the invite list to come and say wow um mm-hmm. just putting it out there and um yeah. and so finally just to say to the listeners that if they've heard any dogs barking or they've heard anything that has been at any slight distraction then um we are living it real here in lockdown uh, yeah. where- are doing this from our homes. We're not in recording studios, um, but we just value the information that we're imparting to those that are listening. So we thank them for listening. And um, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Lara Bundock live Thanks. in lockdown speaking to about <laughs> her, her journey. So um, amazing. Thank you, Lara. Thanks so much, Debbie. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode and found it informative. Do share this podcast to help us help others. To find out more about who we are and what we do go to www.tctogether.org.uk or you can find us on social media facebook.com forward slash impact or you can head over to Instagram and Twitter and follow us there at impact poverty. For some great resources that you can use you can go to www.thecluerinitiative.org and for help or to report a suspicion or seek further advice, you can go to www.modernslaveryhelpline.org or call them on 08000 121 700.